Hi, everyone. Before we start with this issue of the Bighorn Podcast, I would like to pass along our wishes to everyone in our community for health and happiness during these challenging times. We will continue to present new editions of the podcast and hope that these messages will give you a connection to your community. We also suggest that although we need to follow the protocols necessary to combat the virus and to curb its effect, you can still reach out to family and friends with a phone call or a text to make sure we stay connected. A call to a family member that we haven't spoken to in a while. A member of our community that you haven't seen or communicated with would love to hear from you. We always talk about how we are a community, and now staying connected is more important than ever. And please don't forget the spectacular management and employees that are doing such a great job of taking all the necessary steps and doing all the jobs that keep us safe and cared for during these challenging times. Give them thanks and show your appreciation in any way you can. Enlarge your universe. Even though it may not be in person, it will pay dividends as we get through these difficult times, as we know we will. The next episode will touch on some events that unfortunately have been postponed or canceled because of the present circumstances. But it is important to remember that these events will take place in the future and will be relevant once again. And now we present to you the next edition of the Bighorn Podcast. And we could not have a more positive messenger than our next guest. And as Ron Burgundy said in the movie Anchorman, stay classy, Bighorn, and be well and be hopeful. Welcome to another episode of the Bighorn Podcast, talking to interesting people with extraordinary stories. We talk a lot that everyone has a story, and by telling their stories, we can learn and feel and become informed in a way that gives us all a greater connection to our community. This edition of the Bighorn Podcast is brought to you with support of Leeds and Son Fine Jewelers, who have been part of our community for more than 70 years. And AT&T, who reminds us, it can wait. Please don't drive distracted. My name is Marty Lockman, and I'm your host for the Bighorn Podcast. And today's guest is Debbie Artoon. Debbie and her husband, Jeff, have been members of the Bighorn community since 2003. And Debbie is president, partner, and co-founder of Artoon Performance Group. Debbie, we want to hear your story today right from the start. And that starts in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So Debbie, would you take us on our journey? Of course. Thanks, Marty. And I want to first say that I'm amazed that I get to be able to sit here and talk to you about myself or what we've accomplished because I'm so in admiration of what this club has done and to all the different podcasts I've heard so far. Thank you for including us. I'm humbled and I hope that my message won't let anyone down. As you said, we I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I came from a, a very normal middle-class family. There are are five children in our family. There, I'm the oldest. Two brothers, two sisters. We're all very close. Had a really good father and mother who were very involved in everything we did. My mom came from a, a family that was divorced. And so I think she went out of her way to always be part of everything and anything we did. Homeroom mom, brownie, Girl Scout leaders, did everything for the boys, everything for the girls. My dad, the same thing. He grew up in a family where he was the only boy and was very spoiled, but also understood the importance of being very actively involved with the kids. And he was also our school board president for our school district, which was a a very large one and very well known in the Pittsburgh area. It's where usually the state champs for wrestling, state champs for football. My parents were married for a long time until my mom became very ill. My dad 
I have a family legacy of football players. My dad was Joe uh, Paterno's first recruit. My youngest brother was on the national championship team for Penn State on the cover of Sports Illustrated as they won that year against Georgia, the Bulldogs, and Herschel Walker. And then his son, my nephew, also has played for Penn State. So we have a big lineage to the Penn State family of people. Were you involved in sports yourself? You come from an athletic family? Yes. Girls growing up were not as, didn't have as many of the uh, opportunities as the boys did. My sisters and I, we were all on the swim team. We all were cheerleaders. We were all, did the Junior Olympic track and things like that. So yes, I was very athletic. In fact, uh, one of my degrees from college was in physical education. We, it was, everything was a competition in our family. We couldn't do anything without being competitive. We were the kids, the, the family in the neighborhood where everybody came and played games in our front yard. We had football games, kickball games, softball games. I mean, you name it. My dad was in the middle of it. He was the ringleader because he was very young at the time as well. And it sounds like in those days, in this place that you grew up, there was a real sense of community. I mean, everybody knew everybody else and yes. uh, and, and th- people got together. There was a real, they looked after each other, if they will. They did. They did. It was a very safe place and a, a good place to grow up in. Pittsburgh is still a very good town to bring up a family and they have very good values and are very true to their families and, and the neighbors and the people around them. So in high school, did you work in the summers? Did What were your first jobs? <clears throat> oh, my jobs. Uh, well, I, of course, lifeguarded for the 30 days of sun that we had in Pittsburgh <laughs> and the other 90 days in the clouds. Worked in a photomat shop when they had photomat stores where you drive up to the counter and people would give you their pictures to get developed. And I also worked in a restaurant. And I learned a lot from working and serving the public and understanding the importance of being kind to people and how other people treat you. And also during this period of time, kids were expected to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, this wasn't just because you wanted to all the time, but it was out of necessity. We, yes. If you wanted spending money, if you wanted exactly. to do certain things, you had to do, you did these jobs. Correct. If I wanted to get something, I would say, Mom, I want that shirt. And she'd go, well, you got to work for it. And you'd, I'd sit there and figure out what I had to do and even babysitting to, to get the right funds. And those lessons serve us well. Yes. Yes, they do. They do. Now, where do you go off to college? Well, against my family's wishes, of course, I was accepted at Penn State to go on main campus. That was I was the oldest, so that was expected. I went there and decided... I don't know if I really want a big college or university. I came from a large high school. We had 900 people in our graduating class. And I thought I'd rather go smaller, which I did, which was a good choice because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have met my husband. We wouldn't be here probably today. But I went to a small college in Ohio called Wittenberg, which also was a well-known liberal arts school in the Midwest. And also, as it turned out, is a a Division III football champion. As my dad drove me into Wittenberg the first day he saw it, he said, now, is that their practice field? And that was our stadium. So it kind of gives you a sense of the kind of place I ended up. But it was a a very good choice. And some of my dearest friends are the people that I I met there. So what were you studying in school? Started out in biology and physical therapy and quickly realized my great schooling in high school and all my wonderful grades. It was really hard in college. And I quickly moved from biology and physical therapy into more education and physical education and got my teacher's degree. And that's what you thought you were going to do? It's going to teaching? Yes, but it regretfully, I, I really knew that deep down that probably would never be my true calling. But upon graduation, went back to my hometown and went back to my, um, actually to the, to the schools that I went to, that I grew up in, and I taught there for two school years. But at the same time, teachers back then made a very small amount of money, so 
I would teach in the day, leave teaching at 4 o'clock, go to the restaurant, work the restaurant at night. If I didn't work the restaurant, I was also bartending. If I wasn't doing that, I did community college classes. So I was working basically about 18-hour days because I liked making money. And school teaching alone would not allow those types of luxuries or privileges to be able to do other things. So now... Because of financial necessity, you're mm-hmm. working all these hours. Mm-hmm. You've got to be thinking there's a better way to do this. Correct. There is. Um, and in college, that's where I met Jeff. We didn't meet in the beginning. We met right at the end of our college time together. So when we left Wittenberg, he went back home to his home in Toledo, Ohio, uh, Perrysburg, and went to work for the family beer business which we thought we'd always be in if I married him. And I was teaching school back at my hometown in Pittsburgh, and we would see each other a couple times a month. We got engaged, decided to get married. I had to leave my teaching job after two years and move to Ohio, where he had a sales position at Anheuser-Busch Distributorship. His parents were one of three owners of that. So up in around the first year we were married, they decided they wanted out. They wanted to retire get bought out and go to Florida. And so they sold their distributorship there in Toledo. They also had one in Saginaw, Michigan, sold that, moved to Florida. And at that point, Jeff was without a position. However, when I moved and got married to Jeff, I also changed my career. And I had met a man through my father who was a zone manager for Xerox not the copiers or the office equipment. It was the publishing arm of Xerox where we were, it was called Xerox Learning Systems, which were the people who would go out and sell training packages to corporations. In fact, we had the number one sale, and probably still even today, it's probably the best basic selling skills package that you could give anyone, especially a brand new person moving into sales. So I was selling, um, actually I wasn't selling, I was conducting training to adults. So I went from elementary teaching to adults. And I was about 23 years old. I still don't even know how I did that, but I did it. I guess being naive, you just go ahead and try anything. And I was making some really nice money. Jeff was still working for his company or his family business the first year. He was dropping me off at the airport every week. I was flying everywhere to conduct classes. That's when people used to move their people into big resorts and lovely facilities to do training classes. They don't do that as much anymore. We talk about twists and turns. Well, certainly Jeff's family selling the distributorship. Mm -hmm. That puts a wrench into things that you thought might be happening. But then your teaching comes into play again because you go right into teaching. Correct. Even though at a young age, you had to have a feeling of self-confidence because you can't get up in front of adults unless you have a, a sense of yourself. Yeah, I was never afraid to do that. I, I remember one time they flew me up to New York City. For actually, first time I really had ever been in New York City. And they, I was actually putting on a seminar for Smith Barney. <laughs> the men, it was all men. And they were all in there on their Saturday, Sunday. It was the Yale-Harvard game. They had their ascots on. I mean, I had to dress a certain way, look a certain way. And I just did it. I, I didn't know any different. And I think they probably looked at me saying, this girl's talking to us. Well, okay, we'll just listen to her too. And I never really looked and never had people doubt my ability. They may have, and I just I just never was aware of it. You know, I just recently talked to Frank Jules, mm-hmm. and he started with IBM. Mm-hmm. He started with Xerox. He said it was great working for a large company like that because mm-hmm. they really trained you. Mm-hmm. They really taught you business principles that could serve you well in whatever exactly. you were going to do in the future. Yes. And they t- taught you discipline. They Correct. taught you all those sorts of things. Was that the same for you as it, Xerox? It was. They, um, you know, because we were the arm that, train people. That was one aspect. And we not only did sales, we got into management training, customer service, so we could go into a company and look at how to develop all of their people, which was a really 
I, I just always loved, I found that so interesting. And what Xerox, what we did, it was all licensed. So, you know, it was all about getting, we'd call it butts in the seat. We'd want to sell as many seminars or as many seats as possible, or we trained them, called them training kits, because each one we sold, we made more and more money. But Xerox or any big company, in fact, all the folks that we hired as we moved into our own business, we wanted people to had have least been with someone for at least three to five years, a big company, where they learned the social graces and they learned the ability to just have that discipline. Because when you're a smaller company, you're not going to spend time doing that for them. You're going to expect them just to be at that point and handle it that way. But having that Xerox background really was beneficial. For anybody getting into business, I think that that sort of training, which probably isn't as prevalent now Mm -hmm. in today's society, and certainly that hurts people in the long run Mm -hmm. for their ability to move forward. And and so now you're at Xerox, you're doing this, you're liking it. Mm Mm-hmm. You're making money, which mm-hmm. is you're also liking. Correct. And Jeff's still working for the beer business. Correct. He he was working for that first year or so we were married. And and I sat down with my zone manager saying, you know, I said to him, I'm I want to start selling the packaging to companies. I don't want to just stand up and do the classes anymore. And he said, Well, you know, you don't have any sales background. And I said, Well, but I think I can do it. I'm selling them. I'm t- training them on how to sell. And he goes, but it's different, Deb. And I said, no, it's not different. You know, and I kind of challenged him and anyway. And in the meantime, I said, he goes, but you can't relocate. You're stuck in Ohio. And I said, no, we can. We can. Jeff's, Jeff's parents are selling the business. And he goes, they're selling the business. Jeff's available. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, and what ended up happening was they gave us both a position in sales. Realizing that we could never be each other's boss or superior, but we could sell and always be each other's equal. So in Ohio, that was during 1980 when the automobile industry was in the tank. And I'm from Pittsburgh where it's the Rust Belt. And that was everything up there was not good. And where it was good was Texas. And so they transferred us to Houston and was without a doubt, that was, you know, 30 years ago, the best thing that could have ever, ever, ever happened to us. And unbeknownst to us, there were so many benefits to being in Texas. <laughs> but as young kids, we just were excited. Number one, it was the weather was nicer. It was hot, but it was still nicer and sunnier. There was so much growth. There were 300 families a week moving into Houston. I mean, the growth was incredible. And the Getting around and just trying to navigate was hard because there was so much traffic. That's, they've gotten that a little bit better under control. But being part of a big city was really a cool thing to do for us. So, but it was very hard, too, because as good as it was two years later, that world tumbled. So, Two things that I want to ask you. First of all, Everybody is in sales. Mm-hmm. We're selling ourselves. Even Correct. when you were teaching the class, you were right. selling yourself. So I believe it's one of the great things that someone can learn as a young person mm-hmm. because I think sales will serve you well forever. Right. People always need somebody that's going to be able to sell a product and create revenue. Correct. But also, you have to be open when you're younger, especially, to movement. Mm-hmm. to be able to take advantage of opportunities. Correct. If you're not open to that, there's a whole lot of opportunities that you miss out on. Correct. What about the two of you selling? How about the competition between the two of you? Well, it was competitive. I mean, imagine every month we get the stack rankings, our percent of sales and our actual revenue. And the funny thing about the way we worked, I'm without a doubt, in that regard, I am so much more competitive than my husband. Jeff's competitive in a different way, but he really didn't care. He, he just said, hey, it's going to go to the same account. It's, I'm fine with that. But we were always, he was either one above me or I, was always, or I was one above him. So we never, it wasn't like he was having this incredible year and I was in the tank or vice versa. So we had about 100, I think about 150 salespeople like ourselves around the country um, and some, a small group in Canada, a little bit over in, in Europe. But we were always in that top 10 or 12 performers, even, even when 
the year, there were some tough years there in Texas because of the, the energy, the oil economy was, was not doing great for a couple of those years. But it was good. And we, there was another couple that also did the same thing. And then another one experimented with it. So they were good about opening that up so that, I mean, we, we were both very well-disciplined people too. We were young. We had no children. We were, you know, trying to do as good, you know, as well as we could during, you know, during those startup years, long hours to avoid the traffic. <laughs> well, but long hours to, na- to enable you to succeed, too. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. way, that's the first one in, last one to leave. Right. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no accident to that. Right. So now there's tougher times in Texas, but mm-hmm. you're there and you're enjoying it and we're not going back to the Midwest. Correct. So what happens now? Um, so we were about nine years into our territories. Um, I had, as it turned out, Jeff had all, I had the downtown area where the major, uh, oil companies were. He had more, what we call oil service companies. And, and really in Houston, it was mainly oil. It, there were a few other thing industries, but it was pretty limited. It's changed a lot now. Jeff started to get restless. He, he actually didn't like working for other people. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to be his own boss. I, on the other hand, was fine. I loved it. I loved the people I worked with. I liked the structure. I liked what I was doing. I was doing really well. We went and spent some time soul-searching ourselves with a, a counselor and talking to him about what Jeff wanted to do, what I wanted to do. And his name was Greg. Greg said, if, if you let her, what, what was happening was I was trying to cover for Jeff. He wasn't always there. He wasn't always in the, in the moment getting his work done, although he was still succeeding. That's the thing. He's very good at what he does. So I was covering for him. I was covering for myself. I was trying to do everybody's job. And he said to Jeff, you need to just leave. And Jeff goes, leave? And he goes, yeah, leave. He goes, leave? Yes. He goes, leave, leave, leave. And Jeff goes, okay, I'm going to leave. And I'm like, you can't leave. We've got a good job. It's got good benefits. It's this and this and this. And he's like, no, let him leave. He goes, he's going to leave and you're going to kill it. And he was right. The day Jeff left or that mo- in that window, I broke records times three or four of what anybody had ever done because I didn't have to worry about him anymore. So I was very happy, and he was happy too. He started his own business, but quickly became apparent that I needed to join him. And so that's what happened. Within a year of breaking all the records, still to this day I hold all those records, it became apparent I needed to be with him. He convinced me to join him. It took a while, though, because we process and do things differently. And because we always had the same role, if we were going to work together in a business on our own, we had to figure out what we each of us could do. As it turned out, we did that Myers-Briggs test, and he was completely opposite of me. And he thought, he thought I thought like him, and I thought he thought like me, and we were so different. He thinks in thought bursts. He's very creative. I'm very linear. I know if you tell me you want to get this done, I can go boom, 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 done. He'll say I need a letter written. He can't write it because he has so many things going on in his head. And I can sit down and in a minute write it for him, and he'll make it better, of course. He's more an introvert. I'm the extrovert. He's the one that stands up, though, in front of a 1,000 people. I'm the one behind the scenes. It works well. It's just unbelievable how well it's worked for us. Is that a male-female <laughs> uh, thing, or is it a Debbie and Jeff thing? I don't know, because I think he's... It's probably more us, because I think there's things... I think more like a guy. He is very sensing, sensitive. He, you know, he, he will take on a, a problem and just feel it from all these different angles. I'll go, come on, let's get over it. We're move, let's move on. And he can't. He can't let it go. Um, men, I find, usually are more engineer-like thinking where he's not. He's out there. He has a thought, and it has 20 different ideas and bursts going off of it where I'll see it, and I'll go, do-do-do-do-do. But I think everybody's different in that regard. But it just fortunately for us, we are very different, and it works well. 
Complimentary. Yes. And what was the business that Jeff went off to start that you left Xerox for? Okay. So we used the model that Xerox taught us, which we registered everything. It was it had a copyright. It was patented. All of those things so that the intellectual property was never going to be messed with, or you hope. Those are things sometimes that happen in our world. But he started actually just doing some of the same things we did at Xerox Learning Systems, but doing kind of his own little thing. But what happened was a customer forced us into an area that neither of us had a lot of experience in, and it was finance. So what our customer forced us to do was to help his company and his sales team understand how their company operated, how their business decisions and their selling behaviors and actions impacted the bottom line. So he wanted us to train his team on finance, on business acumen, business skills. We were like, I don't think we can do this. Well, Jeff figured out a way to do it. So what we ended up doing over the, and we've done it now for 30 years, is we go into companies and customize a business simulation around their business or their customer's business to help them understand how to deal with growth, how to deal with managing expenses, how to redeploy assets, what are their financial gauges, how people are measured for bonuses or salary improvements. Our sweet spot is sales. So we go into sales teams and we will train them on how their company operates, but also how their customer operates so that they can connect the dots of their solutions to their customer's financial picture. So it's all around profitability. Our key product is called the Profit Specialist, and it's been one that's been in existence for almost 30 years now, touched over 500 global companies. We've trained more than a million people in all of this. It's all licensed, and we also are in like 14 different languages when customers need that. And it's a, we're a small company. We have, at the most, our employee base was 40 people. And we're really, we've narrowed it down to about 20 now because we, we have a core team of salespeople. They get out and so much of what we do now is virtual. We do a lot of our delivery on the web now because not everybody can travel. We do the classroom or the web. Everything we do is customized to the customer, but we have a template to do that. Jeff's the creator. He has the ability to keep everything incredibly simple I'm the one that works with the business teams and our development folks, and I also work with the sales team to get out there and, and make sales happen. Now, you're still based in Houston. Correct. But you have offices. Our offices now are in Ohio, Atlanta, New York City, Houston, L.A., Salt Lake, Chicago, Milwaukee, too. So 30 years, mm -hmm. did you ever think... Mm -mm. <laughs> when you left Xerox and you and Jeff decided to do this, I would imagine that this is more than you ever even dreamed possible. It is. And like I said, if we had never met, none of this would have happened. His parents hadn't left the beer business, we'd probably be still selling beer, which isn't a bad thing. It wasn't as big as it is now. 30 years ago, there was a, a lot of other things that they did besides Anheuser-Busch. On top of that, with our team that we have, I mentioned that I'm, I'm the oldest of five. He, Jeff's the youngest of four. I have my sisters and my sister-in-law are involved, and they work, they've worked with us for over 25 years. My nephew is working with us now. Jeff's brother and sister work with us. They have retired. I mean, we're all getting older, <laughs> so... These are all, the, a lot of the core team is our folks that are family, too. And then they, they've done very well for themselves. Well, I would imagine, too, that keeping employees, whether they be family or not, mm -hmm. people still have to produce. What is it that you attribute that longevity of people being involved? I think we are in a business that our customers really like us. I mean, we go in and we don't have problems. What we deliver on is what we make a promise to do. We bring business results to them. Most of our customers will stay with us for 
many, many years. It's unusual if somebody comes in and just does one thing and then they leave. It's very usual or normal for them to be with us anywhere from 5 to 12 to 15 years, and they stay as customers. Now, they may not do as much in, in different windows of time, but we're one of their core competencies. Most people right now, for example, healthcare really wants their all employees to understand the hospital economics. And so we do a lot with that world. Energy is huge for us, obviously, because we're in Texas. And we do most of the oil and most of the oil field service groups. So we touched the 500 global customers. We have 23 industries that we work within. So each, for example, the healthcare is one, energy, finance, to name a few. And we're in 64 countries. So we, we have traveled around the world. All of our folks, our trainers are full-time with us. They're not contractors. So they go into these different countries and run sessions for customers. We sometimes have to have translators there to make things happen. Tell me too, this is the Artoon Performance Group. Is that what you called? Because, you know, people might be listening to this and might want to take advantage of uh, That would be wonderful. (laughs) There's lots of good companies here uh, that uh, people work for. Yes. And and we've had a few as, as customers here. We're careful with that for obvious reasons. We don't want people diving in bushes when they see us come down the street or ride down in our golf carts. But there are many, many large corporations, and that's what, what happened when we started this. We, we really didn't know if we, what would happen to this business. But it turned out that most of our customers are the large public companies, although we work with private companies as well. It's just that when you get in, we get in there and we show customers or the employees their numbers. Private companies aren't as quick to do that for obvious reasons, but we can work around that and show them percentages and stuff like that. So we really train people on on business, but we've done it in a simple way. It's easy to make finance very complicated, and we've tried to really try to pare that down to make it as easy for people to follow. Folks that clean shop room floors, truck drivers up to the boardroom, uh, and, of course, we adjust our sessions and, and the applications and things we do to make them more difficult for people who are, are at higher levels. But people at higher levels don't know everything either. They know their particular little area. They might not know everything. They do know, uh, the CEO knows, CFO obviously knows, but people typically after that, they're working in their, their particular area. Now, with all these twists and turns that you've had mm-hmm. to get to where you are right now, mm-hmm. With all the success you've had, mm-hmm. what does the future look like both in your industry and for you and Jeff in business? Yeah, I know we will stay still very committed to what we do. Now, fortunately, because we have staff and people who are very well trained and much better at the details and the day in and day out operations, they, they help run that for us. I'm probably about 60% still all in doing things day in and day out. Jeff will do that when he has to get on the road and conduct data collections or run a big session. Outside of that, you'll see him also on the tennis course and the golf course. So he, we've created individuals who can do a lot of the things he does, but there are still things he has to touch because he has that ability to keep it simple, understandable for people when they're going through the training. So We are going to stay involved, and that's a good question. We're still wrestling with that. I would say I'll stay involved as long as I I can still add value to my team, but there will come a time when we'll completely step away from that and and more than likely turn it over to them. Also now with all of this that you do Mm -hmm. and all of this company that you've built, you have now found time Mm -hmm. uh, to do even more here at Bighorn. Right. Along with TRX and everything that you oh, do. Oh, you're so but, kind. <laughs> but, but, but now with BAM yes. and your new role, talk to us about that. Um, I helped, I got involved with Salby a good 10 years ago, just doing whatever needed to be done in whatever capacity. Because the breast cancer is something that's very close and near and dear to my heart, my mom passed away of breast cancer when she was only 57. She fought it for eight years, and I watched what she went through. I was still very young. I was in my mid-30s when I lost my mom. 
And both my sisters have had breast cancer, early stage one. So they, they caught it early. They're, they're doing fine. And I've had a brother with, uh, with stage four melanoma, which is related to breast cancer. So the cancer is, is out there in my family. It's something I'm very concerned with, but I'm very, I, I'm very dedicated to trying to help people here at the club, but also in the community to be able to, to give back and try to help Selby and support her efforts. What we do at BAM, I'm very proud of. I have been asked to chair the, the charity, but I also have a lot of help from Selby and Kathy Johnson, who I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff without. And then our marketing folks are, are wonderful as well. They help to really put all the details together for us because we've been doing it for so many years. And it's, it's a challenge at the club because people here at the club have lots of options and lots of and lots of people at the club don't even utilize Eisenhower but we do things also for just families out in the desert who are needy and need funds to be able to pay for food to be able to pay for electricity buy gas in their car through the Pendleton Foundation and we've also reached out to uh, the desert regional side as well to provide some additional assistance there with some dollars to do some things special for the breast cancer area at Eisenhower, interestingly, what we do impacts not just breast cancer. Breast cancer is, is our leading focus, of course, because of the equipment piece, but the vans, the car we bought, TVs for the treatment rooms, we do things for infusions. We do a lot of things that touch any person who has any type of cancer. I think we need to, as a team, do a better job of getting that information out, because I don't want people to think it's just breast cancer, but that certainly did help start this whole really good charity that has has evolved over the last 12 years. And since you've been involved, mm-hmm. one of your goals, as I understand it, is because it has been going on for 10 years, and it's been very successful and given back so much to the community, mm-hmm. but you want to freshen up these things. Right. So now you have some new things that you're... Instituting right this year, we we want to get the men involved, and we're going to give a give it a shot. We're gonna we we have some people who are on the sidelines trying to be our big cheerleaders. We'll of course be doing the same thing, but as many that can be involved, and not just in golf, but they can be participate in pickleball, they can participate in tennis, they can play cards. We're not going to do the big miracle, the night of miracle event. So what we're all we're going to do. And this is really the only thing the club does. I, I, people always say, you do so many, ba- I see BAM here, I see BAM there. And, and really all we do is this. This is the Cash for Caddies night where we want men and women there. They'll get to eat, they'll get to have some drinks, they'll get to participate and see how much fun that the women have had with the caddies. We'd love men to, have, to be there as well. If they want to play in the tournament, great. They can bid on a caddy. If they don't want to go and play in the tournament, they can help us bid on caddies. And then the next day is the game day where during the people will be golfing, both men and women. Uh, tennis and pickleball will be getting played and as, as well as cards. So at the end of that, we have a big luncheon for everyone. And it would be our wishes to make it two or three times bigger than it's ever been attended. Um, that's to be determined over the next month, but hopefully we can get as many people involved as possible. Feedback's always been, you need to change it up. You need to do things differently. Um, so we're giving this one a shot and hopefully it'll work. What do people want to, if they want to find out more about this, mm-hmm. if they want to get involved to a greater degree, what should they do? Well, they can of course contact any of us, myself, Selby or Kathy Johnson, Uh, They can reach out to the marketing department and speak to Kelly Levy. She's really the charity's director, and she's very instrumental with us in pulling this all together, or speak to any of the marketing gals. Um, We always need help. The thing that we're where we are now is a lot of the little details are done because the marketing folks have that all figured out. Where we need help is to people out there talking about it and get everybody involved. Ask, ask your friends, ask your husband, ask your spouse. I mean, ask everyone to participate. Hopefully we'll get a different vibe this year from the whole, from that whole event. And and my experience is that it's not only for a good cause. It's not only raising money, but this is fun. People are having a good time doing this and what a better way to 
to give back than to have fun and, and exactly. contribute. Exactly. And it it is fun. I mean, the the cash for caddies night is so much fun. And the caddies are such good eggs about participating. They love this. They want everybody. They, I think they're nervous. They want to, they want to make sure they go for enough money. <laughs> but I mean, they, they are so good about playing the next day. They're so excited the night before. It's just a fun couple days. And normally it's been just for the men. And I think It'd be fun to get the men involved to see if it's something that they would like to continue and create a legacy of including men and women. Well, I think the other thing, Debbie, is that we who have been here for a while, mm-hmm. we do believe that everybody knows about this. We believe mm-hmm. everybody's participated for the last 10 years. Right. And we'll freshen it up. But, but there's a lot, a lot of new members. Exactly. That don't know anything about this. And mm-hmm. they're really missing out on something if they don't find out more about it, yes. get involved. Because like I said, as much as anything else, they're going to have a good time and it's right. going to be fun. And they can drop in and do just one event. Uh, we've broken it up where if you just want to go see Cash for Caddies, you can go that route and that's it. Or if you just want to come to the end of it and do the luncheon, you can do that. Um, if you're going to participate in the game portion with pickle, tennis, cards, or golf, you're part of the whole package. That's, it's that, that is a package. But we're trying to make it where we want people to experiment and see it. And I think next year, too, we're going to really try to put forth a better effort to get the younger people involved and do some BAM mingling earlier on so that they're aware of it. It's not necessarily on their radar as much as it is for women my age and as we get older because we're doing the mammograms or doing all the different things you have to do to, to, to be preventative with the breast cancer. And that's why I, in our message we can do in the podcast, getting the word out there. Mm-hmm. At least people now can sample it, see yes. what it's like, because I do think it's going to be fun for them. It is. The, the fine, you know, a question here is when do you sleep? I mean, you're active. Mm. Jeff will tell you I go to bed as soon as I hit the house <laughs> at night. I do. I get, I get my sleep. I, sleep is important, but I like staying active. I do. I like, I like where we are right now here in the club and being involved with different sports activities, but also the, the BAM has really helped me connect with a lot of good people that I really value and, and I think the world of them glad I'm here to help Salby. And, you know, she's, she's a very important person and force in my life. And, and Kathy's been by my side. She calls me her shrink. I mean, my shrink, not her shrink. You know, it's, it's a good place to be. It's good to, it's good to leave too at the end of the season and rest up, get, get ready for the next well, season. Well, we always talk about, there's a lot of developments but mm-hmm. this is a community, mm-hmm. and people live here. They care about each other. They do the th- sorts of things that you're doing, and right. your energy is contagious. Oh, thank so, you. So, I mean, to to be around positive energy right. is, is a really contagious thing, right? And we want that to spread throughout the the oh, community. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Some questions for you. Okay. Who's had the greatest influence on your life? My husband, without a doubt. We've been married almost 41 years, no kids, but we've had our business and worked together all but the first year of our marriage. He's my safe ground. He can help settle me down. He's the saver. I'm the spender. You know, I mean, everything that that we, we try to bring balance in that way. He's just a good person. You know, as we we laugh about it now when people say, I, I could never work with my husband. I, and I'll look at them and say, I don't think I could now. I think that I did when we did, and we grew up that way, and we made it work. As you get older, you're, you're more set in your ways, and there's lots of things that I drive him crazy about, and he drives. But he's been the biggest influence, and I hope I've been his as well, but he's he may not say that, but without a doubt, it's been We'll him. have him in here one day, and we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get oh, the other side no, of the story. I don't <laughs> what qualities do you look for? from the very start until now, Mm -hmm. in people that work with you? Well, I want people who, obviously, we all want people we can trust, but that's earned over time. I think people whom 
are very proactive. They don't sit around and wait to, to be told what to do. They're, they're on it. I have my assistant that she's been with me since 1994, Becky, and she thinks before I think to get things done. I wish I had 20 more of her. But I think that it's, it's people who are proactive, people who are willing to work long hours and be very disciplined to get things done. I want people who are very driven, especially from the sales side, people who, who really want to do well. And I, I like to be around people who are very likable. And what I mean by that is people who are approachable, who can sit down with a customer or sit down with a friend and, and people are interested in wanting to be, to be able to have a conversation with them. I love people who are detail-oriented because I am, but I'm around a lot of people who aren't. I want people who also can push me and give me ideas that I never even thought of because there are so many good ideas out there. And people look at things so differently. The younger kids look at things so differently that, that I never even think about. So I love that aspect as well. What is your management philosophy? I don't overmanage. I delegate as much as I can. I will show you how to do things. I'll make sure you're doing it right. I try to give feedback as quickly as possible in an appropriate num- amount of time. I make decisions. I don't sit around. I always use the example of years ago, I had a manager that I'd ask him something and his response was always, well, I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. And that just drove me crazy. So I like decisions. And I try to do that. Now, if I say to you, I don't know what I want to do, but I will get back to you right away, meaning I'll get back to you shortly within a day or so, it's because I don't have the right, I don't feel good about making a decision yet. So I don't like to make snap decisions, but I like to make fast decisions. And usually I'm pretty good at that. A question that I haven't asked everybody, but I'd be interested with you. You're outgoing, you know a lot of people, mm-hmm. you are nice to a lot of people, but what makes a good friend to you? What are the qualities that you look for in a friend? I think I like people that will be honest with me when I'm not doing something right, will try to help me, try to steer me or talk me off the edge sometimes. <laughs> Friends that you know, I can pick up the phone and say, hey, I need to talk right now. Can we talk for a few minutes? Or, you know, just go on long walks and, and have conversations and, and just talk about anything and everything. And also friends I can joke around with and make fun of them as much as I want them to make fun of me. You know, you can't always do that with everyone. But I, I'm, I'm lucky that I have some good friends like that. And I have and my family I can do that with as well. What brought you guys to Bighorn? My dad. My dad lives here half of the year in Rancho Mirage with his partner, Julie. But prior to that, too, Jeff and I won some company trips when we were with Xerox, and they brought us into Palm Springs. Jeff always loved Palm Springs, always said, I want to live here someday. And when my dad started to come here for half of the year to get out of the winters, we would always come out to visit him once or twice. And he and I would just go out and look at houses. He loves looking at houses. And we found a man who started showing us around, and one thing led to another that got us to where we are. (laughs) That's how we got here. What was your first impressions when you met R.D. Hubbard? Well, so by first meeting him, there were really two things that that stick out. One is the first true time was they were opening up the poorhouse, Jeff and I literally were just here for that weekend because we had just newly moved in in April of that year, and we came back during the fall for some time. We weren't always staying here full time, and they said, come on down to the poorhouse. And I'm like, what's the poorhouse? And they said, you mean poor, P-O-U? You know, anyway, um, so we show up, and there's people walking around with cheese, cheese its no, no, um, cheese Whiz. They had crackers saltines with cheese whiz on it and giving everybody that and, you know, serving that. And we were laughing and I was talking and I'm looking around and I see two ladies. And as it turns out, it's um, Judy Allen and Joan Dale. 
and Joan Dale, I heard her say Judy Allen, who we were buying our, who we had bought our house from and I had never met her in person. And Joan Dale, I thought she said Joan Zale, like Zales. Uh, so I'm like, oh, you mean Zales, like Zale Diamond? And she goes, no, Joan Dale. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, who's Joan? You know, I'm, I'm talking to someone, who's Joan Dale? They said, she's married to the guy who owns this place. Oh my God. So we that night had dinner with them which was so funny. I mean, we just all, there was just a small group of us that it was a very small, intimate group of people. I don't even know how we ended up there. But we also, Dee's been very dear to us. He took us under his wings. We were one of, we were the first couples that went on the first African safari with them. And Jeff and I knew no one. So we were like little kids with a group of people who all knew each other. And there was a, you know, quickly we, we're like, oh my gosh, we're back in at Xerox. There's a pecking order. You're allowed to sit here. You're allowed to do this. You're allowed to do that. And, you know, but he always took care of us. So he was always someone that was always kind to us. And I think, you know, he, we were just younger at that time. Now we're not. And he's just been very good to us in that regard. I don't get to see him as much anymore. So I think that's the thing that, Everybody says he genuinely wants everybody to be happy here. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and we would make sure he knew we would give him feedback all the time. It was always positive. We, we've never had any complaints about anything here, and he knows that. We could be some poster kids for him for, certain, you know, for a lot of things. So he's a good man. Last question. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give the 20-year-old Debbie Artoon? Stay close to your family. Surround yourself with good people. Stay true to yourself, but don't... I was always very hard on myself. I always had higher expectations of myself than I probably should have. I didn't want other people to know that, of course, but, you know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be number one. I wanted... And that's hard to to live like that because you're always going to be let down. So I think it's just be a little gentler to yourself. Take time to enjoy the things that are that are important, you know, stay focused on the important things and find that passion that you love to do what you're doing, even if you weren't going to be paid a lot. But if you're happy doing that, that's, I think, very important. And, 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 and have a good partner in your life. Debbie, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you. And Marty. I know that sometimes people come in, they're not quite sure what this is going to be like. Uh, I really appreciate your honesty. Thank you. I appreciate your story. You epitomize, Mm -hmm. uh, you and Jeff, the twists and turns Mm -hmm. that bring you to certain places. And obviously the success you've had. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, once again, I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Marty. You do a great job. I've, I've enjoyed all your podcasts. Thanks, Debbie. And thanks again for listening to the Bighorn Podcast with interesting people and their extraordinary stories. And once again, they've been brought to you by Leeds & Son Fine Jewelers, a member of our community for over 70 years. And AT&T, who reminds us, it can wait. Please don't drive distracted. We look forward to you listening to the next Bighorn Podcast in the future. Until then, thank you again for listening.